Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Amid all the talk about healthcare and what's going to happen to it, there's one question that doesn't get discussed nearly enough. Why is healthcare so expensive? So there's obviously lots of reasons. You've got an aging population, you've got high salaries amongst healthcare executives. But is one of those reasons innovation itself? Are we looking at an industry in which there's great new tests and amazing pills and cutting edge surgeries, but it all adds up to a bill that we can't really afford to pay? John Gruber has been working on the economics of healthcare for about 30 years. He helped Mitt Romney expand healthcare in Massachusetts, which became known as Romney Care. And he helped President Obama expand healthcare in the US, which of course became known as Obamacare. He's a professor of economics at MIT. John, thanks for coming into the studio. Good to be here as always. So if we pull away from politics for a second and kind of the plans of the moment, um, explain why you think that health care costs are on the rise in general. And that's true in pretty much every country and not just in the U.S. That is true. Health care costs always rise everywhere. Hmm. It is true over the last 30 years they've risen faster in the U.S. than most other developed countries. But they always rise. And basically... It's partly what you said. It's it's innovation. The problem is it's helpful innovation and less helpful innovation. So let's take a simple example. Let's take two drugs, Savaldi, a uh, drug for hepatitis C, and prostate cancer drugs. Okay? Savaldi is a miracle. Savaldi, which costs $84,000, saves a life. Wow. Saves a life. Hmm. Someone with hepatitis C would have died, and now they live. Mm-hmm. For $84,000, that's a bargain. Mm-hmm. Some of these prostate drugs cost thirty to fifty thousand dollars and extend your life maybe a day or a week. Hmm. That's a waste. Now, innovation—they're both new innovation. They're both new drugs. The question is, how do we as a society figure out to be able to get the innovative drugs that are cost-effective, but maybe avoid the innovative drugs that aren't? You said a few things there that I want to get to, but one thing that was kind of a, uh, a scary statement, which is, healthcare costs rise. Everywhere. Always. Always. Now, taking that to its logical conclusion, what? We're going to be spending 100 cents on every dollar eventually ah, on health care? Ah. Okay, this is very important. Okay. I said rise. You jumped to said rise faster than the economy. I see. Okay. So so the qu- they always rise. The question is how much faster than the economy do they mm. rise? So, for instance, the U.S. spends 17.5% of our GDP on health care. If we kept that fixed... We would have no long-run fiscal problem in the U.S. We'd be golden. Okay, Has that gone up over time? That's gone up enormously over okay, time. Okay. It's gone up from about 4% of GDP in 1950 Whoa. to 17.5% today. Okay. Now, two facts about that, which seem contradictory but important to both keep in mind. If you look at the increase from 4% in 1950 to 17.5% today, it's been worth it. What do I mean by that? I mean health care sucked in 1950, and it is so much better today that it's worth it. In 1950, a baby born was four times as likely to die before they reached their first birthday. In 1950, if you had a heart attack, you were four times as likely to die within the first year. Or to put it for your young, healthy listeners in their terms, in 1950, if you hurt your knee skiing, 
Okay, you were in the hospital for a week. You're on crutches for six weeks. You had arthritis the rest of your life. Now you hurt your knee skiing. You get scoped. You're home the next day. You're, you're skiing the next week. Okay, healthcare is way better today. And in fact, we are better off as a country spending 17.5% of GDP and getting the health outcomes we do than we were spending 4% and getting the health outcomes we did then. That's fact one. Fact two is we waste about a third of what we spend on healthcare. That about a third of what we spend on healthcare does nothing to improve our health. Now, you might say, how can those two facts be consistent? They're consistent because the other two-thirds has been awesome. So that basically we've got this very productive two-thirds, which has carried along this wasteful one-third, so that on average it's been worth it. But along the way, we've wasted a huge amount of money. What if that doesn't plateau out? I mean, you know, people are living 80, 90, 100 now. What if we get to people living even longer than that and having even healthier lives? And we say, well, gee, I mean, now it's 25 or 30 percent of our GDP. But but boy, people have awfully good lives and we have really great drugs. And boy, isn't that so much better than what things were like in 2017? How where do we get to a plateau where we say, uh, we can't just spend all our money on health care, even if these drugs and stuff, they are fantastic. Well, uh, the problem is we don't know what that plateau is. So mm-hmm. let's take your thought example. Imagine it's 30 years from now and we're spending 25 percent of GDP or even 30 percent of our GDP and we're an amazingly healthier society. Who's to say that's wrong? I mean, we don't know. We know that we can't spend 50 percent or more, but we don't know where the right number is. What we do know is we have to get to a system where that number's chosen more rationally than it's chosen today. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with uh, John Gruber from MIT about the cost of healthcare innovation. So how do you deal with drugs that uh, extend people's lives by a month or a few months, which is which is good, but you know it's not a huge amount of life extension. I mean, if you're the person, if you're their family, you think, man, another month, I would give anything. But what if anything is a drug that's $100,000 or $200,000, but you don't have $100,000 or $200,000, so somebody, the American people, pay for that drug? Like, how do you decide what's okay and what's not, especially if the buyer cannot pay themselves and they don't have the money? There's an answer, which is there needs to be some well-functioning societal decision mechanism for making that. In England, they have something called, interestingly called NICE the National Institute for Comparative Effectiveness. And they decide that. They say, look, this drug is cost-effective enough that we should support it. It's not cost-effective enough we shouldn't. That would go in the U.S. by the name death panel. Okay? (laughs) Right, Um, right. It's not. It's a rational decision-making body of the type that rich countries ultimately need if they're going to afford health care. Now, we don't have anything like that right now. Obviously, I think back a few years to to those sort of outcries against death panels. Um, but if you don't have anybody saying, look, this drug costs $200,000 to extend your life a week, that, that doesn't seem reasonable. If nobody makes those rules, which I guess is the situation we're in in this country, yes. um, what happens when you get these really innovative drugs that can extend people's lives by like a little bit of time? They get paid for and our health care costs go up. They and get right paid now, for by who? By insurers, by the government. I mean, we basically have a system where any drug that passes... That's effective. That the remember the FDA doesn't say whether something's cost effective, just whether it's effective. Mm-hmm. It then gets paid for by insurers, by the government, and basically that's a long run problem. And does it matter how many people would be affected by the drug? So you've got people who have very acute illnesses, for example, um, but there's not very many of those people right. um, who really need a drug. 
But again, like the cost effectiveness of developing this drug and having teams of scientists work on it, you could say it's not that effective because it, it only helps a few people. Maybe we should work on things that help millions of people. Well, I mean, I think the answer is there's no right answer. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't leave people with Duchenne's disease or other rare diseases out in the cold. Mm -hmm. If we can save their life, we should save their life and we should work on that. It's important to remember that those orphan drugs, those drugs sort of things right now don't add up to a whole bunch of dollars. So I think there's a lot of focus on those because they're sort of interesting examples, but they're not really where the dollars are. That's not to say they won't be in the future as we get more genetic testing and start to understand, hey, here's a Kara Miller drug. Here's a drug that cures exactly what's wrong with her. As we start to develop personalized drugs, this could start to become a real hmm. issue. And, you know, once again, I think the only answer is have more rational framework where we say, look, if this is a drug which can improve Kara Miller's life for less than X, we should do it. If it's more than X, we should not. Mm. And that's where we need to get to. Okay, so if you were going to say a couple things, the best things that, that government could do to sort of control the cost of healthcare innovation, what would those things be? I think that there's a couple of things. Uh, one is, I think, setting up cost-effectiveness organizations, setting up a way to actually give information on cost-effectiveness and not necessarily saying non-cost-effective things can't be made, just that they won't be covered by insurance. And you're saying Britain has a version Br of this. Britain has okay. a version of this. The second thing is we need to change the way doctors are reimbursed. So right now a system where doctors and providers and hospitals are reimbursed based on how much they do to you, not how healthy they make you. We need to move towards what's called value-based reimbursement uh, is the second thing we need to do. The third thing we need to do is we need to recognize the fundamental problem in healthcare is that consumers aren't price sensitive to their healthcare decisions because they don't bear the cost. And why is that? It's largely because of what's called the tax subsidy to employer-sponsored insurance. So if MIT comes to me and says, John, do you want $1,000 in wages? I take home about 600 bucks. If they come to me and say, John, do you want $1,000 in orthodontia benefits for your daughter? That's not taxed. So I take the whole $1,000. So my daughter has these cool braces that spin and change colors, and they're really neat. And every week she changes them. Because why not? It's free. It's insured. This system, this tax break, costs the American U.S. Treasury $250 billion every single year. And it leads people to buy excessively generous health insurance. Because why not? If they get wages, they'll be taxed. They get health insurance, they won't. We need to level the playing field so that people make that decision on a level basis. They sh their health insurance spending should be treated the same as their wages. So give me a sense of what you see happening in terms of how expensive medical advances are going to be um, and whether this is something that worries you, that you think about. I mean, I think any health economist has to be kept up at night thinking about this. I think that they're going to get more expensive. I think that when it comes to issues of healthcare innovation technology, we have to be humble and we have to be patient. Humble meaning we don't quite know what to do yet. We have some handle on the problems like I've been discussing, but you notice I've sort of evaded on a things and been a little bit unclear on some things. It's because we don't really know exactly what to do. Patient in that we don't have to figure it out today or tomorrow. We have to figure it out over the next 25 years. Okay, we're not going to run out of money to pay for health care in 10 years or 20 years. We may run out in 50 years. So we've got time to do this, but we can't panic and do the wrong thing or ignore it till it's too late. John Gruber is a professor of economics at MIT. He worked on developing both Romney Care in Massachusetts and Obamacare at the national level. John, thank you so much for coming in. Always a pleasure. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.